I'm master at life and weight loss coach, Jillian Lama, and you're listening to the Body You Crave podcast, where you'll learn how to end emotional eating, lose excess weight, and feel amazing in your body. No cheating required. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. Welcome back to another bonus episode of the Body You Crave podcast. Today, I'm talking with my friend and photographer, Jessica Korf. So Jessica is an award-winning portrait photographer, a visibility strategist, and she's the founder of Success Refashioned Magazine. She's also been featured as a woman of impact by Impact of Southern Arizona. So Jessica and I became friends online through all the COVID things and She ended up being my photographer for one of my maternity shoots that I did. I call them my glamour maternity shots. And I just love the conversations that we've had offline about body image and confidence and as women, how we feel unphotogenic and we need to lose weight before we take the photos and we feel kind of pulled in these different directions and we think that the weight is somehow going to make us confident or successful or feel the way that we want to feel. So in this episode, we dive into all of those as well as, you know, her story um, as a child with food and body image and the challenges that she went through. We talk about perfectionism and what we learned as kids as to how we, you know, how we're loved, how we earn it, how it's given and some of those labels that we put on on ourselves. And and there's so much more that we could have talked about, but we had such a fun conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Jessica. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you. Awesome. Well, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners for us, please. Sure. My name is Jessica Korf, and I own Florida Photography as well as a recently launched. I keep saying recently launched, but it's been over a year now. So pretty soon it'll be in its two years magazine, Success Refashioned Magazine. We work a lot with women in the capacity of them feeling great about themselves and standing in their power and creating this space where they get to really just show up, love who they are and really feel authentically themselves. Yes. Wonderful. I know I had, so I'm having another photographer on the show as well. And we're talking about imposter syndrome and some other things. And I know some people are thinking, wait, am I on the right podcast? We have a photographer. What's going on here? But because you touch so much and you work with women very specifically, you work with women around body image and confidence and wanting to show up and be photographed and feeling photogenic and feeling good in their own skin, in their own body. It's so important to have this conversation. And we've just had so many fun conversations on our own, just getting to know each other and each other's businesses and becoming friends that I knew that you would be an awesome fit for coming on and really just diving deeper into some of these topics. Awesome. Yeah, I cannot wait. Yeah. So let's dive in and we'll just start with, tell me a little bit about how you grew up. What was your relationship to food and body? Did you have any kind of self-consciousness? And at what age did any of that start, any of that awareness? Well, I can tell you my relationship to food was a really poor understanding of what food was and what it was meant to do for your body. I grew up as the oldest of six. Wow. And my mom, yeah. <laughs> and during the first few years where we, there were just four of us and my mom was a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so she go to work. We rode the bus. We were, we were a very poor family. Mm-hmm. We lived off of state assistance. And so what that often meant was my mom needed something really quick to make. 
And I'm not sure anyone ever taught her anything else about food either. Right. And so we had a lot of things like hamburger helper, Mm -hmm. like the Velveeta cheeses that might come in a Wick box. Right. So we really just had the things that were easy and that tasted good and that she knew her all of these children that she had would eat. And so it really didn't teach anything other than just what's quick and what tastes really good. We definitely grew up kind of picky and she definitely catered to that a little bit. She was picky too. Mm -hmm. And when she married my dad, my stepdad, they had two more kids. So that's when we had six. He would cook a little more often and he would cook things that were a little bit more intricate, complex, like, you know, fajitas and, you know, he did Thanksgiving and all those things, Mm -hmm. but he also worked two jobs. So most of the time it was up to my mom or it was really often that it was a fin for yourself kind of night. Mm, So it was really just whatever we taught ourselves to make, what was easy to make. And so that really became the basis for how we treated eating food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because I think, you know, I remember some, some times in life where, yeah, it was a fend for yourself, especially as I got into high school or was a senior. And my mom was, she was going to college. My dad was going to college. He was doing another master's degree. And then it was kind of like, yeah, you're 18. You can take care of yourself. And that probably, I'm sure that came up a little bit when we were younger, but, but it can be kind of hard when you're rummaging through and you're like, all right, we got like pickles and some salami and, you know, like (laughs) what's in here and not always the best, like the best options while also kind of recognizing that, yeah, it is tough. There is a lot of pressure on women to make money, to go to work or to go to school full time, to take care of the kids, to do the bulk of the cleaning and the domestic chores and activities, to raise the kids, to cook. And and it's a lot. It can be overwhelming. Absolutely. Yep. So it, it makes sense that in that situation, we all, and like I said, we didn't have a vehicle. So we even rode the bus. So the time of day, you know, it was just gone. Uh-huh. Um, so it makes sense that it would definitely be one of those things where you reach for what was easy and fed everybody. Yeah. Um, and that really was a consistent decision maker, right. For how we cooked. Yeah. As far as like my relationship to body image, my, yeah. additionally, I was really scrawny back then. I, I had a nickname. Mm-hmm. They called me featherweight. <laughs> even <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> exactly what that meant back then. Other than that, I was very small, even as like, I think I was like a sophomore in high school and I was something around 80 pounds. Like it was really, I was really thin. Wow. And that was just the way my body was. And my mother was quite like that as well. And clung to that being an important piece of who she was. So one thing I know is that as I got older Mm -hmm. and I had children Mm -hmm. and then my body changed and I should back up a little bit. So first when I was out on myself mm-hmm. at 18, right? Like I ate whatever I wanted. I bagel bites, cereal. It didn't matter. <laughs> and it just, that's uh-huh. how I lived. It was fine. It was like college food. It didn't matter. But then yeah. after having my first child, you realize, oh, now this is going to really matter. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So that was then my first relationship to no longer being sort of what I identified as, right? This person who was tiny and could eat whatever she wanted. Mm. And then began, Mm -hmm. that was my first experience of feeling like I started to really see myself in a negative way. I wish that I could say like that taught me then to think better about food, but it didn't. Instead, it started making me really come down on myself. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, it's hard because we have expectations of how we should look compared to how we looked in the past or how we looked at a certain time in our life or how we should look based off of other people, whether it's realistic or unrealistic. I know there have been times when 
I've talked to women and they are in their late 30s and they're like, I just want to have the same body I had when I was 18. And I think what they're really searching for is nostalgia. You know, it's like a a feeling of who they were at 18, not that they have to have the body at 18. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would agree with that. There's something that's just so carefree about when you're that age that you really don't care at all, (laughs) that there's something Mm -hmm. about reaching back to just not Mm -hmm. feeling like it's a big Mm -hmm. deal anymore, feeling young and attractive and you can go do whatever you want to do that isn't always there anymore as you get older and all the responsibilities come down, right? Yeah, definitely. So how do you help women then who come into your studio and maybe they need a new headshot, maybe they're doing a photo shoot with you and they feel like, well, maybe I should lose 20 pounds first. Maybe I'm not ready. Or can you get me from this angle? Or can you just get me from like the chin up? And can you like, can you cut 20 pounds off of me when you Photoshop and you edit these, you know, things like that. How do you work with women and help encourage them as they're getting their photo shoot to really relax and to feel more confident and comfortable in their skin and their bodies right now, just as they are. Well, I can tell you that my first step is set on that very first phone call. I try to take all of that pressure off of them immediately. Probably 90% of the women who call me Mm -hmm. tell me either they're really worried about taking these photos because they feel like they should wait till they lose 20 pounds or that they're just not photogenic. So those two things, almost every woman says to me when she calls. So Mm -hmm. my goal is that that very first phone call, I remove all of that weight because that's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders. I feel like it's all your job to have to be this fantastic, perfect person that you want to show up for in the world. Yeah. The first thing I do is I remove it by saying that it is never your job to be photogenic. Mm -hmm. It's just not. It's your photographer's Mm -hmm. job. That's a great, great point. Yeah. And I think so many of us probably have these horror stories back when we did not have digital cameras and we had like disposable or like film cameras. Right. And you get photos where you're like taking a bite of a chip or something and your face is all distorted and this like weird, or they get like you in a sneeze and you're like mouth is half open and eyes are like twitchy and you know, and you're just like, Oh my gosh, like I look terrible in photos. And sometimes we just have that kind of long held belief that we need to let go of, but that's such a good point that it's not your job. It is the photographer's job and they will bring out I think a good photographer will bring out the best of you and like better than you could ever imagine. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I tell them. It is your photographer's job to know how to pose you, how to guide Mm -hmm. you and to help you Mm -hmm. really show up. That's my job. None of that's you. You're Mm -hmm. on the other side. You can't even see what I'm doing. So Mm -hmm. first of all, that's the first thing I take off of them. How often my children or someone else takes a really awful photo of me, even though I know all the tricks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know any different. Right. So they don't know how to help me in the camera and the camera angles just do something different. Your eyes see people in a different way that a camera sees them. A camera flattens it out. So you see all of it at one time. And your visual is like when you're looking at somebody and speaking Mm -hmm. to them, really like there's really not everything in focus, right? You're really just focusing on one part of them. The rest of it kind of blurs away. So it's very different to look at yourself in photos too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, I, that's the first thing I do is I remove that completely from them, not their job. So I feel like that already helps them to start to feel confident or at least comfortable in showing up in front of the camera, knowing that I've got them and I'm taking care of them and there's no pressure on them. They don't have to know anything. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing I do. Then the second thing is we talk a lot about wardrobe. We talk a lot about what's mm-hmm. important to them. We really dive mm-hmm. into how they want to show up. And then we use posing that's going to help flatter them for starters, right? And then Mm -hmm. clothing that's not going to make them look bigger than they are. 
I'm sure you guys talked about this at some point. Every stylist I know mm-hmm. says it, right? If you wear something baggy to hide that you're bigger, it will make mm-hmm. you look bigger, yep. right? Fitted is better. And you don't want to be like crammed yeah. in, but fitted. And that yes. is going to make your shape look yes. nice. And that's, it's going to make a huge difference in front of the camera. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you, if you haven't yet listened to the bonus episode, Stylish at Any Size with Judith Gatton, make sure you go back and listen to that one because she is full of some really great tips on how to dress as a curvy girl. And curves, regardless of where they are, how big they are, like we all have curves as women. So how to dress for your specific curves and, and feeling really good about what you're wearing and finding good fitted clothing that you don't feel you have to cram yourself into and that you're not trying to hide under or hide beneath. Exactly. Great clothing tips are going to make a huge difference in your confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's not just in front of the camera. So that sounds like it's a great episode to check out because even in myself, I am a bigger girl. Mm-hmm. And when I dress really stylishly for my body type and I feel really good, I show up really good. I feel mm-hmm. good and it shows up. Yeah. So when I help them with their clothing so that they show up in front of camera, they already feel really good because they feel good in their clothes. They feel good in what they have to do there. Right. right. So that's a big piece. I also do talk a lot about how we really believe that every woman is beautiful. And I say that without exception. It's really important that people know that the women that we bring in are mm-hmm. not models or or anything, right? They are everyday women and they each have beauty and we just really help that particularly mm-hmm. that particular beauty of their shine. And that's always my goal. Um, and there's really something fabulous that when they look at those photos, how often I mm-hmm. see them tear up or um, just really get excited or even step more into their business because now they feel so confident and they love those photos of themselves and they see themselves in a different way than maybe they let them see themselves in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have to to say here that Jessica did my glamour maternity photo shoot, which is what I call it. It's like glamour shots for a pregnant woman. And it it was amazing to like feel beautiful and glamorous and attractive. And we had, it's, it was really fun because we had different material that we played with. And she had an assistant who was like, throwing material kind of behind me into the side and stuff. And so it was super fun just to yeah, stand there, hold the pose, smile. And we took probably a dozen photos. And but like, from my perspective, I'm thinking like, all right, I don't know what's here, but I trust you, you know, and it just goes to show that we don't always see the whole picture. We can't see exactly what the camera sees. And and there comes that element of of trust as well. And knowing that you may not like all the photos and that's okay. Like it's a trial. It's an experiment. It's like a hey, let me see this. One of the outfits we did was kind of like, oh, hey, really like this material. Let's see if we can wrap it around you and we'll stuff it in here and twist it around there. And then it was like, oh, that turned into one of my favorite, my favorite outfits. I was like, this is amazing, you know? And so I think having that willingness to not make it be perfect and to not make this mean something negative about yourself, that you get to choose what to think about yourself and what to think about these photos And I really encourage all women out there to have some professional photos done where you feel amazing, where you can look at it, you know, on a regular basis. If it's not every other day, it's like every day and you, you take yourself to that place and you can show up more fully in all areas of your life. And whether you are in a business, working a full-time job, you work in the home full-time, it's still important to, to have the self-concept of yourself. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things when a woman takes one of these photos and she says, I know that we're 
I'm going to do air quotes here, not supposed to uh-huh. do this, right? And they print uh-huh. it large and they hang it on their wall. And even though at first they feel like I'm not supposed to do this because somewhere in our society, it's been decided that you're not supposed to love yourself that much. When they call me and they're like, oh my yeah. gosh, every time I see that, I'm like, oh, that's me. Like I get to be her today. And that's so exciting. Yeah. I think every yeah. woman should have a photo of themselves hanging that's reminding them of their power and their strength and their beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the photos, I haven't hung it up yet, but it's going to go right back here on this wall <laughs> in one of my collages. So I can't wait to, to share a picture with you when I get that hung up. I can't wait to see <laughs> so, it. Yes. Yes. So, and you know, it's interesting too, because a lot of times body image and confidence, it can take hold at an early age. Not, not always, but a lot of times a lot for with a lot of women that I speak with, it has started at an early age or even just this consciousness and awareness or identity in being small, thin, tall, um, of being mm-hmm. a certain type and, or being the pretty one. And it's so funny how we often can look at other people and they could be looking at us and wanting our bodies. So I remember looking at my cousin and thinking like, oh, if only I was tall and thin and blonde and beautiful, like she was. And she was looking at me like, oh, if only I could like be normal looking and be athletic and not be taller than all the boys. And, you know, like she had a whole different set of criteria where she was looking and like kind of comparing herself to me and wanting to be me. And I'm thinking, wait, really? (laughs) Wait, you want this whole time you wanted to be me and I wanted to be you. And it's like that. That's what happens. Or I always talked to my sister, this is a couple of years ago, but we were, had brought up something from high school and I had mentioned like, oh yeah, you know, they just knew me as the girl with the hot sister. And she was like, wait, no, that's how they knew me. I was the girl with the hot sister, you know, like, and so it can follow you, you know, and it comes. But I think it's really important that we not just learn how to do this work for ourselves, but we learn how to do it for uh, the kids around us, whether they are our own children, nieces, nephews, students, people in your neighborhood, like people in your church, people that you meet and are in community with, because food and body image and these thoughts about it really start at such a young age and they're they're so impressionable for so long. Yeah, that's absolutely for sure. I think I want to say so as I told you I have four kids, all girls, and my youngest mm. is 6 going on 7 and she already yeah. has conversations about body sizes yeah. and the differences that she sees in people. So it's already becoming an awareness, right? The differences in people. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's near this time. Then they start to compare Mm -hmm. that, right? It's a natural progression. Like that looks like this, but I look like this, right? And we've had this conversation before too, where, you know, I've taken my children into the doctor and the conversations the doctors Mm -hmm. have about gaining weight or losing weight, or it just doesn't Mm -hmm. feel well informed, right? It's very, um, you need to do this. And it feels a little bit like they're putting more pressure on them instead of saying, here's why we need to do this. And here are some great options Mm -hmm. to work on. So that's been a struggle. And certainly in my own life, you know, I went through a couple of those diet fads, if Mm -hmm. you would, in which case, then I'm talking about how much weight I'm losing and because I'm excited, right. And I'm losing all this weight. And you don't realize that the words coming out of your mouth, even though they sound positive because you're excited or having an impact on your children and they're listening to you. Yeah. Your children who think you're beautiful even before you lost weight. And now you're talking about how you're going to be so much better. And so they're they're listening and they're hearing that it's good to be lose weight and it's not good to not. And so it's really right. the conversations, I think, are really important. The way you're speaking about it is important. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because and I think something we don't often realize or we take for granted is how much children are downloading and absorbing and listening. And 
they are just trying to make sense of the world. So they're trying to make generalizations or rationalizations about what's happening. So it might be, oh, weight loss. I'm learning that weight loss is good. So being overweight or being fat or being this way or not losing weight, like this is bad. Like this over here, we're, we're there in their minds. They're just trying to figure out what's good, bad, right, wrong. They're trying to learn kind of what's acceptable, what's not. How do I, how am I loved? You know, how, how this world around me work? And they'll start to branch out and to kind of step into their own and, and kind of socialize things once they're 14, 15 years old. But up until that point, they're really just looking around them and mimicking what they see and what they hear and what their friends are doing. And it's not that, you know, it's hard because we can't protect them from everything, but we can do a lot in terms of really communicating in a positive way with them and speaking out loud some of the things that we're practicing. So I know one of the one of the aspects that I always encourage women if they're concerned about their kids' weight is to start by just talking about, oh, you know, like I notice I'm not hungry and I'm, you know, in the pantry or I'm looking for a snack. Oh, I wonder, like, I guess I'm just feeling a little, I'm a little bored or I'm looking to relax or unwind or take a break, you know, like have these conversations and have them at a level where your child can understand them or, you know, I'm choosing to eat these foods because this is what fuels me and gives me energy or I'm choosing to stop. You know what? I'm not going to finish what's on my plate because I'm, I'm done. I'm, I've had enough. I'm satisfied. And really, you know, starting to look at some of those rules about like, you've got to clean your plate or you've got to eat everything or you don't get dessert. Some of those kind of incentives of like, you've got to finish this all. And, and it's different for, for everyone, you know, and and parenting is always a tricky subject. You know, I'm not here to tell anybody how to do it because I've only just begun. (laughs) There are many, many other experts out there, but just being aware of what you're bringing in and that it's all optional. And a lot of times if we're not very conscious and aware of the cycles that we've been through and how to change them, we are just going to repeat it even if we don't want to. Like if we don't have another way, if we don't have another means or alternative, we're just going to repeat the same thing that we learned and that we picked up. I think that that's an excellent point because I want to mention that as a result of my upbringing, when I met my husband, guess how I also cooked, right? And he's like, he yes. grew up in like home meals, yes. like home cooked meals. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so it took somebody pulling yeah. me out of what I didn't realize was a not a normal or, you know, didn't, isn't what everybody does all the time type of thought process and had to rethink like, oh, well, what does it look like to do this differently? So that's a great point because if you don't notice, if you don't have the self-awareness uh-huh. to see that you're carrying on those exact same behaviors, then you will continue to pass down those same thoughts as well. Yeah, right, right. And, and awareness for the children, I think, can start really early um, and just noticing that, encouraging them to journal, to write things out, to write out thoughts and emotions. Um, one of the best ways to not eat over our emotions is to let it out, to get it out, whether it's talking to somebody, whether it's writing it, regardless of kind of how you choose to do that, it's it's important that we release that energy. So that way it's not driving us and kind of sitting under the surface, ready to pounce whenever our workday is done or the kids have gone to bed and now you're sitting on the couch, those sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So what have been some of the obstacles that maybe you have faced in through your own kind of journey into motherhood and and weight loss and body image and most likely, you know, there's been weight loss and then weight gain and what that kind of mentally can do to us. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big package to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll start with, you know, as I talked about, like my mom kind of taught that piece um, and then I carried that into what I really thought was worthy about myself as well. 
definitely, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit to when I had the kids in. So then I worked harder to lose the weight, right? And then, uh-huh. you know, each kid, I have four, as I said, I'm like working harder to lose the weight until at some point, then you get tired of trying yeah. to figure it out and you try all the diet fads and you lose all the weight and then you gain all the weight back. Even though people tell you that will happen. You're like, it won't happen to me. Right. Yes. You're like, no, <laughs> I'm a special one. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then what that yo-yoing did to my own self-confidence, right? I already struggled in mm-hmm. general in self-confidence. I, I also am a survival of some childhood abuse, childhood sexual abuse. And as a result, even as an adult, sometimes I deal with some of those self-conscious yeah. feelings that come from it. I think healing is an always work in progress, even if you've done the, the work. So it pops up sometimes still, right? So when after my fourth, yeah, every, all the tricks I knew weren't working, I, I got really depressed for a little while. And I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this. Mm-hmm. I... I struggled to do work all the time. I struggled to mm-hmm. engage in the, with the kids. I struggled to be happy. I was more on edge all the time, right? All of the things that come with that. And when I dove in and did more healing for myself on a mental basis, yeah. on a past basis, I healed that piece a little bit too. So I was finally not at a point where I was like, okay, okay, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm okay with who I am. This is who I am and I'm safe here and I don't need to be something else I'm not. And so I really stepped into now loving myself. And then now the journey now is a health journey, right? Because my blood pressure is high and and all the things. So we're working on losing weight, but now finally it's from, it's from a place that's healthy, not a toxic place, right? Not a place of, I need to be something that I have some view of what needs to be perfect. Right. (laughs) And now instead Mm -hmm. it's from a place of, okay, Mm -hmm. how do I make sure my body can keep doing the things it needs to do? How do I make sure that I'm able to do the things mm-hmm. with my kids or, you know, what have you? And I'm around. Yeah. So the wonderful thing about that journey is when I came out the other side, I was able to now address it from a very healed and lo- self-loving point. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, it takes some time. It takes some progress. It's not just a one and done. It's a kind of continual effort and really changing, boosting your own confidence in yourself, your own self-confidence that you can handle and tackle no matter, you know, like anything that comes your way. We often think that looking a certain way is going to make us confident, but it's the thoughts. It's the thoughts that we have about ourselves and about Mm -hmm. our capabilities and, and trusting ourselves to handle obstacles and challenges and problems that arise. And it's that constant work every single day, probably multiple times a day. And that's something that, (laughs) that I just got coached on today actually was like, really being aware and on the lookout for the negative self-talk and where does it slip in? Where are you indulging it and redirecting and swatting it back? It's like playing a game of tennis. Like a ball comes your way, you got to knock it right back. Like another ball comes your way, you knock it right back. But that's the game, right? We don't get upset in tennis when you're like, damn, I had to hit that ball 20 times over the net. We're not counting it and thinking it's a one and done. It's like, no, that's how the game is played. Like that's how we get better and better is by learning how to redirect and shift and shift into something that we do actually believe, not some kind of fictitious thing where we're kind of like rolling our eyes like, oh yeah, this is the mantra I'm supposed to be saying that I don't even believe because we've all tried that before. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. 
And I think when you hoard all the balls instead of hitting them back, it also starts to be, it starts to be heavyweight that you're carrying. And then it starts to, it really affected like my relationships because I felt terrible. That must mean everybody else thinks that I feel that I'm terrible or that they don't love me or they don't, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it resulted in a lot of projection Mm -hmm. that caused additional Mm -hmm. problems in my marriage. And I think even my relationship with my kids, it just it doesn't just stay here, right? You kind of basically bleed it out if you would onto everyone else. Right, absolutely. So we were talking before we started recording and uh, and I brought up perfectionism. And this is something that that I struggle with. It's something I have a whole podcast on is perfectionist fantasies. And knowing that I am a recovering perfectionist, knowing that I still have these tendencies, it's still something that it's like, oh, it, it still feels uncomfortable and can be a hard thing to shake. What is your experience with perfectionism and working with clients who have those perfectionist tendencies as well? And and how have you like worked through some of the those yourself? And how do you now help clients through that? So I struggled with it really bad for a really long time. It definitely mm-hmm. consumed my life. Add to that that I am a Virgo. And so I think that like just kicks it up another notch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> that really has to be perfect. And then as the oldest child, and we don't want to upset anyone. And my mom, if she was really good at one thing, yeah. it was making sure that we stayed in line all the time. And we were perfect when we were on the bus or anywhere else. So that instilled in me really quickly, this ideal of how you had to be all of the time around everybody, right? No slip ups, don't mess yeah. around. And it just pushed yeah. that even further. Now, when I yeah. went in and did some additional healing work, I think we've talked about it before. I attended something called the Landmark Forum. It's a three-day course that's like deep dive. It's like, I always say it's like 10 mm-hmm. years of therapy in three days. It's intense. Yeah. <laughs> something I discovered there was, by the way, I went for business, but we did a lot more work than uh-huh. that, right? So, <laughs> uh-huh. right. Yeah, they get you. <laughs> so there was this, you know, they're talking about the traumas that happen when we're children that often come from our parents that... Sometimes it means nothing. And to them in the moment, they were mad or they were whatever. They don't think about what comes out of their mouth. And then as children, we take that phrase or that moment and we make it mean something about us. So I remember a time where I wasn't doing things exactly right the way I needed to. And I probably wasn't listening. I was younger. I want to say I was around somewhere around eight or nine. And my mom said to me, you know, I love you because I have to, but I don't like you very much. And I can't imagine what she was going through that caused that to happen for her. I don't hold anything against her for that. But I decided that day that that meant that I was still not perfect enough and that I needed to be more perfect so that I could earn that love. That became my whole Uh way of being for a very long time. Uh And then it continued into my first marriage. Right. right? I had a very toxic first marriage. There was a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of um, gaslighting, a lot of um, there was even a little bit of like physical abuse. It was not it wasn't healthy. And I consistently said to myself, just be more perfect. I wouldn't trigger him. If I could just be more perfect, I would earn the unconditional love everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mm-hmm. stubbornly pushed on for that in that marriage right. way past when it was done because I really just yeah. believed it was me who yeah. had to do the work. So that inner turmoil (laughs) then makes you feel like everything is always your fault. So then Uh of course, when I couldn't lose weight and all the things to get back to where I thought I was supposed to be to that ideal perfection that I thought was supposed to be there to be loved. Yeah. It was depressing. It made me feel like I could not be the person I needed to be Mm -hmm. to be loved. I couldn't, this was my fault because I couldn't be perfect enough. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's been 
in the past, it's been something really like detrimental mm-hmm. to my, my mm-hmm. life in so many different ways. Um, but mm-hmm. finally, as yeah. I worked through that, definitely something that I, you know, and, and then in the business space, I'll even say, then I get analysis paralysis, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put something out that's new, even if it was a great idea, because it's not done. It's not perfect, which meant it never got out. Right. Or if a client wrote me something, mm-hmm. sometimes I wouldn't get back to those emails because I don't know how to give the best, perf- most perfect response. So now I'm not getting back to clients. Yeah, right. So yeah. it, it definitely like, it's such a toxic right. term, right. That I hear, like, even my kids' teachers will commend some kid on being a perfectionist and they're like, thank you for, you know, and it makes me cringe. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, don't encourage that because I know <laughs> what it can do. Well, and I think it also stems from this fear of failure that we have and this stigma on failure and how like you are a failure and it's not just like you failed the class or you failed this test, but yeah, it's now, or even it's like getting a B is like a failure, right? Like it's not always even like an F it's, if you're a perfectionist, it's very much all or nothing. So if you're not perfect, then you've failed, then you're a failure and and it's that internalization of that that I think is so, so detrimental. Oh, absolutely. Even in college, my kids still laugh about it. There was a time I went to college while they were like, I was in my thirties. <laughs> and I remember I got like a plus, a plus. And then I had this class that I had an A minus. <laughs> like uh-huh. that teacher. And I'm like, why is there a minus next to my A? <laughs> He's like, everyone yeah. else got like B's, like you're fine. I'm like, no, but. I'm not everyone else. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, into even schooling. And it, it's funny now, right? But it, the anxiety and the stress that it caused then yeah. is not healthy yeah. for anyone. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. It's so funny, how, like the different areas where I'm still a perfectionist today and where I'm not. My husband, I think, can be a perfectionist and very particular about things. So we were painting my office and he he was like, so are we like trying to get this perfect or are we just trying to get it done? And I'm like, do you see the ceiling? Like there is paint on the ceiling. Obviously, I'm just trying to get this thing painted. Like, don't care that much. That's a great question for him to ask you. How good for him to know? Like, this is the question <laughs> I need to ask. <laughs> right. And it's it's funny, though, because it depends on what the activity is. Like, how confident and how comfortable can I be at putting out like B plus work or B level work because that has never, it's like, well, if you're capable of doing a level work, you should be doing that. And it's like, this is what you should do. I feel like there's a lot in how we're trained and kind of raised and a lot we maybe kind of socialize and get these ideas with from school about how hard we should work and what we should be doing and putting out there. And there are certain things where, yeah, I'm not a perfectionist when it comes to painting the walls. Like I just need to get it done so I can unpack, you know, like I need there's, it's just a means to an end. There's this other thing that's coming. It doesn't have to be perfect. Do I want it close enough? Yes. You know, like, do I want my clock to be like sideways and tilted at like, you know, the wrong angle? No, I want, you know, I do want straight lines, but I'm also not going to spend an hour trying to trim a little corner. And I think that for me has come up with the podcast, which has been doing some of the editing myself. And I'm at a point where I was, I'm editing a show that's going to release tomorrow, actually. And I was telling a friend, I was like, you know what? It's like probably 85 to 90% like solid right now. I'm good with it. And I could just submit it now or I could spend another hour probably editing it to try to make it that like 95 to 99%. You know, like what is the best use of my time? It's probably just to let it go, let it be and submit it and move on. 
and not stress and worry about a few of the extra ums or likes or, you know, different, different habits and little nuances that I have and just submit it and like move on to the next thing instead of getting so hung up on one specific project or task. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something about that. Sometimes we feel like in the middle is not okay, but I think finding the middle is fine. (laughs) Like for instance, after I spent some time healing that piece of me and I was like, throw caution to the wind, everything's great (laughs) now. And then I'm launching projects left and right. Like I thought of it yesterday, let's just do it. And completely the opposite, right? So the pendulum swung all the way to the other side. Uh And then I'm like overwhelmed with all the work coming. And I'm like, (laughs) what did I do? Yeah. So finding that place in the middle, right? Still a work in progress for sure. Yeah. And the way that you find it, right, is by going a little overboard, going a little extreme and seeing what you can handle and then noticing, oh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Okay. I need to pull back. I need to table this idea. I call her the good idea fairy. She likes to visit once a month, every, you know, occasionally she's here a little longer than other times, but she likes to hang out. And sometimes she's, you know, she is full of great ideas they're not always helpful or useful or implementable in the moment. Like sometimes we just need to stay focused on what we're doing and not get distracted with other projects and hobbies and tasks and things like that. It's like, let's just focus and let's finish a project before we move on to the next. And I found that for me, it's funny how I can get like 90% of the way there. And then that last 10% takes me like longer than the first 90 did, but it's like the act of finishing. And it goes back to that wanting it to be perfect and this struggle with perfectionism. And like, can we just finish it and get it out there and let it go, right? (laughs) So you recently are launched a podcast and I'm super excited about that. So why don't you tell the listeners what it is and, and more about what inspired you to do this? Yeah. So, you know, as we go back to like the idea of like, you know, just launching stuff. <laughs> the magazine that the podcast kind of comes after is Success Refashion Magazine. And the magazine was launched. It was a baby that was birthed, mm-hmm. if you would, right after Landmark that I was like, all right, let's do this. And it did amazingly better than I ever anticipated. And then when the pandemic hit, we used the magazine to help reach other women and take women who were doing amazing things already and figuring it out and connecting with the women who were like, I don't know mm-hmm. what to do and I need some help. And that was really amazing. And then now we're in this new season, Mm -hmm. right? Where that feels like that's kind of completed. And it just feels like the next right step is to launch a podcast. So we are launching a podcast. We've been recording them that launches September 1st. And it's really all about how it's called, I should say, Success Differently. And it's really all about how, as women, we just do success differently. And we do that in all things, I think. We do it. Our success in weight loss comes from a different place than men, I'm sure. Our success in business, our success, so many things that we do, we're just such different creatures, are very different, not wrong or better, in my opinion, just different, Mm -hmm. right? So those things that apply to how men handle those things may not apply to us. So it's about us taking those mm-hmm. uh, those ways that work better for women and really just stepping into that space and celebrating and getting inspired. And also, of course, each woman does success differently, right? So it's also mm-hmm. about understanding how that looks for each woman as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think finding ways in which you can consciously choose to feel successful about things and successful about your life or successful in your parenting or in your marriage or in various relationships, successful in a job, in a career, in a business. Like it doesn't just have to be a, you know, a lot of times we think of success as like money, 
house, car, you know, like the fancy things, handbags, like there's Mm -hmm. a benchmark of like what success looks like. And so I love that you're talking about it in this new way of it doesn't have to look or be these things. It can, you get to define it and you get to decide and really stepping into that and owning that and not feeling bad. I think it's easy. It was really easy for me to say, oh yeah, sure. I can be successful every day, but like still secretly holding myself accountable to all these other things I should be doing. (laughs) You know, like that's tough. Like there are habits in there that need to be broken. Right. So often what my version of success is, it may not be the same as yours in whatever it is. And then the problem that comes is that now you're killing yourself trying to be perfect in a space that's not authentic to you. It's sort of celebrating and bringing awareness, like you said, to embracing what our success is instead of Mm -hmm. feeling like it's got to look like something else. Yeah. And that is, yeah, that's a wonderful place to end is to really look at how do you want to feel successful in your own life today? What does success in weight loss look like? Because it may look more like health and preventing diabetes or healing your gut or, you know, really managing your hormones or PCOS or hypothyroidism or any other kind of kind of health concern that you may have. Um, Success might be, you know, walking a mile. It might be running a, a race. It could be any number of things and really just deciding how you want to define success and go after it. And doing the mental work to help get you there. And yeah, that's that's what it's all about. It's like, let's make this the best life possible. For sure. I agree. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you further? Oh, I would love for them to find me at either fdlphoto.com. Or if you want to see more about the magazine, the magazine is at theredmag.com. And we also have a wonderful community on Facebook called Women Refashioning Success you're welcome to come join us. Yes, wonderful. Well, we will link to all of those in the show notes. So check that out if you all want to connect with Jessica, which I'm sure you will because her communities are super fun. The magazine is amazing. Um, I wrote an article for the last one. I'll be writing again in this next one. So I'm super excited to be a part of that and to help share and really just lift other women up in, in these different areas that they're in. So thank you so much for being here. Any other final parting words? Thank you for having me. I would just say that don't let everyone else's life dictate how you should be. It's okay to step into who you are. Take the weight off your shoulders. It's not your job to be whatever you think is right for everyone else and embrace that success for who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. All right. Thank you. If you like this episode, then you'll love my free virtual workshop, Five Keys to End Emotional Eating and Lose Excess Weight for Life. You'll learn the counterintuitive reason why all your attempts to restrict food over the years has actually led to weight gain and the mental switch you need to flick that'll have you dropping pounds without sacrificing wine, carbs, or the food you love. Get all the details at bodyyoucrave.com.